ghoulish salutations my friends thank you so much for stopping by and making paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day those awesome tunes that just went through the old listening vessels is as always courtesy of the amazing bobby mackey and i of course am your host tessa morrow today's episode was requested by my sister casey so thank you because i love those suggestions and recommendations keeps me on my toes The man looks sadly at the woman. He sighs and thinks to himself, God, she is so young. How could this have happened? He brushes her hair back and tries to picture what she would be doing right now if she weren't on the skurney. He sees this young girl at school. She's laughing with friends. Perhaps she's staring at the school jock and his wavy hair as he bounces past the giggling girls. She blushes and looks away. Fast forward, and now she is at her dinner table with her family. She's bubbly. She has this phenomenal personality. She's happy. She's talking about the events of the day. The man, uh, he shakes his head and is brought back to reality. No more laughter. No more looking at boys. No more family dinners. No more nothing. This is the young girl's new reality. Death and loneliness. We go back into time, into the late 1880s. We find ourselves in northern France at the River Seine, a river that has quite of some spine-tingling connections to some extremely gruesome events. In 845, when Vikings navigated the river during the Siege of Paris, then we have the Siege of Paris decades later in 885. And in 1314, we have the last Grand Master of the Knights Templar, executed on an island in the River Seine, basically right in front of Notre Dame, which will be an episode all on its own someday. Now, it was on King Philip IV of France orders that Jacques de Molay be burned to death. Here's an account from Henry Charles Lay. A short consultation with his council only was required. The canons pronounced that a relapsed heretic was to be burned without a hearing. The facts were notorious and no formal judgment by the papal commission need to be waited for. That same day, by sunset, a pyre was ignited on a small island in the Seine, the Isle des Jouhets, near the palace garden. 
there de Molay, de Charnay, de Gonville, and de Parade were burned to death, refusing all offers of pardon for retraction, and bearing their torment with a composure which won for the, the reputation of martyrs among the people who reverently collected their ashes as relics. Yikes. Burnt death? That has to be like one of the worst ways to die. I know I say that a lot, but I can't even imagine. Another execution via burning takes place in late May of 1431 when a young Joan of Arc is tied to a pillar and is executed. Now it's said before her death she requests to be able to witness a cross come upon her. And an English soldier actually makes a little makeshift cross out of sticks and he presents it to her. And she tenderly kisses the cross and lays it upon her chest. And furthermore, a processional cross is delivered from the Church of St. Savior. She is able to hold this cross before her hands are eventually bound together for the execution. And it is held in front of her so she can watch it during her execution. That cross, that crucifix, will be the last thing that Joan of Arc sees, besides the flames, of course. Now, once she is dead, what remains of Joan of Arc is discarded into the River Seine. In the 1880s, several bodies would be found in the River Seine. One of those bodies would be an unidentified young lady, no more than 16 years of age, really, and she was special. You see, her body didn't show any signs of foul play or some other type of illness, and she looked just so calm, so serene, so peaceful, that led many to believe that she drowned herself intentionally. And I can't imagine why one would choose to die this way, but believe it or not, many did believe this is exactly what happened. Who was this young girl? Surely someone was missing her presence. A family had to be out there worried sick about her whereabouts. Where could this girl have gone? The mysterious woman's body is put out on display in the mortuary in hopes that someone would pass by and recognize her. And this happened a lot back then. You know, just look at the old Wild West where people were dying daily, you know, sometimes up to 10 days or longer. And believe it or not, a lot of people would be identified this way. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's Joe Blow, you know. Well, no such luck in this young woman's case, unfortunately. To this day, she remains unidentified. She is known as, and excuse me as I butcher the French language, l'inconnu de la Seine, meaning the unknown woman of the Seine. There is something about this unknown mysterious woman of the Seine. Her body was well preserved. Her face, oh God, that face, it was beautiful and perfect, like a piece of art, especially considering how she died via drowning. Now, the pathologist, he saw this. He's the one who conducted this girl's autopsy, and he actually has a model maker 
make a plaster death mask of this young lady. Today you can still buy a replica of her death mask face through the original makers, Lorenzi model maker, titled Noye de la Sin, meaning drowned woman. Fast forward, if you will, to the 1950s, after seeing the risk of students hurting one another while being trained on, you know, from bruised sides to broken ribs and perhaps cases of mono, a man decides to make a doll for medicinal purposes for medical students to practice CPR and compressions on that way versus on each other. Good move, smart move. He recruits the help of a well-known toy maker named Osmond Lardal, who had previously seen the young girl's death mask and knew that that was the face he wanted to put on this dummy, on this CPR doll. From there, they called her Rasuski Annie, and the name stuck. Annie is known as the most kissed girl in the entire world. Millions upon millions have trained on Annie. Mouth to mouth, chest compressions, you name it. And I'm one of those people. Years ago when I was with Red Cross one winter, we went we went to Dillon, which is kind of like, I think near Vail. I don't remember now because it was so long ago. But we went there for training over this freezing cold winter weekend and we were stationed at this school. And one thing that stuck out with me in this school was, I believe it was by the cafeteria, there was this thing on the wall, like some defibrillator type of thing. And I was wondering, what is that? Like, I never saw that in a school before. And come to find out, we were told that a couple years earlier, a young man, I think he was like a sophomore, he has a heart attack and he dies. And there was no type of thing at this school to help, you know, to save a life. I mean, you don't think that like, you know, this healthy kid's going to have a heart attack here at school, but that is exactly what happened. And so after this, I believe the family donated this defibrillator thing. And I want to say it was like a year to the day that this young man died at the same school. Another person has a heart attack and guess what? Their life was saved using this defibrillator. And to me that always kind of stuck with me and who knows how many other lives it has saved. But I mean, it seems like every single school needs to have something like that. But anyways, jumping back to the topic. Now, one of the things we had to do was get certified in a CPR class. We had to complete this class. We each got our own Annie. And later, I would buy my own doll so I could continue practicing. Still have her to this very day. She resides in my closet. To me, it's so sad that this young girl, she was never identified it's like somebody had to have been missing her, right? She was only 16 at the very oldest. She had to have a family. Why didn't nobody go looking for her, searching for her? If that was my family member, I would be out night and day just searching, begging for help, talking to law enforcement, asking people, have you seen this person? Just anything. I would be going to the jails, the morgues, the hospitals, anything I could think of. Not like they would be in jail, but, you know, I'd be looking everywhere. But that did not 
happen with this girl who remains unidentified. While we may not know Resuscitation Annie's true identity, we do know this. Even though her own life was cut short throughout the years, she has continued to help save people's lives through the training with her doll. And that will never be forgotten. So whoever you are, Annie, whoever your real identity is, I hope you rest in peace and just know that to this day, you are still out there saving people's lives. If only somebody could have saved your own. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all pretty awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? There's no need to cry. Just hit up any of those kick-ass podcast platforms, such as Radio Public, Poddash, Hub Hopper, Blueberry, Raspberry. Just kidding. There's no raspberry, but there is a blueberry. Basically, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's Special city shoutouts go to Waddell, Arizona, which, by the way, I'm still in Arizona. If you want to stop by Tombstone, I'm here. Jerez de la Frontera, Spain. Princeton, Texas. Chapmansboro, Tennessee. And Van Buren, Arkansas. You guys, thank you so much for stopping by making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. It's greatly appreciated. Please come back next Monday to check out the brandest newest episode. Have yet to hear your city, state, or country on the podcast? Throw a recommendation my way. I love any spooky suggestions. Paraprowl at gmail.com or message me through Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page. And again, a big thank you to my sister Casey for recommending Annie the girl behind the face of the CPR doll. See you next week, my friends.